We're in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 22 and we're going to go down to verse 33. But I'm going to just kind of take portion by portion. So if you'd like to follow along, beginning in verse 22, it says, Then he, that would be Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. It literally means to see. That word, we have two words, look up. It means to see. Made him look up. We got all those going. Okay. Yeah, Amber Alert. Okay. Amber Alert. Okay. Lord, we pray for whatever child might be taken, Lord. We pray that they would be able to catch the person quickly and protect that child. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he, Jesus, sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. And Father, we pray, as we always do, that you would give us insight, Lord. We pray that there would be application for us. And uh, Lord, if we are yours, if we placed our faith in you, if we are walking in you, we have your spirit dwelling within us, Lord. Your spirit, Holy Spirit, you said that in your word that you teach us and you remind us and you equip us and empower us to make your word alive in our own lives. And so we pray that you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, guys, um, this is the, as far as I'm aware, this is the only gradual healing that Jesus ever did, or two-stage healing. I mean, you know, we're only in chapter 8, but we've, we've seen, we've read over and over and over again Jesus um, healing people, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, those who were demon-possessed, uh, opening the uh, mouth and uh, enabling the mute to speak and... And uh, we see, you know, the individuals, of course, we have their account. But then we also have reference to multitudes of people coming to Jesus, being healed by Jesus. And we get to this particular account and we say, well, boy, this seems strange. I mean, what was going on? Was he off a little bit that day? Was the power not surging? You know, of course, that would be crazy to believe that. Um, but we ask ourselves, you know, and it's good to ask questions when we read the scriptures. Why couldn't Jesus heal the man immediately? And I think as we ask the question, we need to consider the text. We need to consider the text in its context. And we need to be careful students of the word of God. 
And I think that if we're careful students of the word of God, that we will conclude that it's not that Jesus couldn't, it's that he didn't. And if he didn't, he didn't for a reason. I'm convinced that every day with Jesus for the disciples would have been a wonderful lesson, a new and fresh lesson. I mean, why would Jesus, you know, he only had three three years with them, maybe a little over three years with them. And why would he waste any time? Because he knows what his mission is, and he knows what their mission is. And he needs to equip them in a short period of time to carry out their mission. Now, of course, they had no idea what their mission was, and they had no idea what his mission was. I mean, these guys are just kind of learning as they go. But I wonder, this gradual or two-staged healing, was it a lesson to the disciples? Was the lesson, well, maybe it was something like, how do you see people? Maybe that was the lesson. You might be thinking, I'm not following. Well, just the context of what we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks. Remember what the disciples said to Jesus before Jesus fed the 5,000 people? Remember what they said? They said, send them away. They said to Jesus, send them away. And then the disciples said to Jesus, before Jesus fed the 4,000 people, they asked the question, how can one satisfy these people? And I suggested that these people were most likely, if not all Gentile, a mixed group with Gentiles. And then, of course, the disciples, they said to Jesus, when the Syrophoenician woman, we know she was a Gentile, when she came to Jesus, remember what they said to Jesus? sent her away. So we might say, well, well, maybe, maybe that's what this, this gradual um, healing, that Jesus was using this gradual healing. He was saying to them, you know, guys, you, you're just not seeing clearly. You're just not seeing people the way you need to see people. Well, I don't think that's what Jesus was teaching here. But I think that's a wonderful lesson. And I think that's something that we all need to learn. I think that all of us need to see people the way Jesus sees people. But I don't think that's what Jesus was illustrating here. The context of our text, we have two recorded accounts that are only recorded by John Mark. Only John Mark wrote these, these two accounts, one being the account we're looking at right now, the healing of this, uh, this blind man, and the other account that was unique to John Mark's gospel account was when Jesus healed the deaf and mute man. So none of the other gospel writers mention the miracle of the deaf and mute man. Now, they mentioned other deaf and mute people, but not this particular man, and they did not mention this particular blind man. They mentioned other blind men that received their sight, but not these two. So I want to I put this in context for us for a moment. Sandwiched between the account of a man who could not hear or speak and a man who could not see We read these words from Jesus, these words that he spoke to his disciples. Look at verse 18, going back to last week's teaching. Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. 
do you think that maybe this gradual healing had something to do with that? I mean, it's been a week for us, so we've, we've, had a, we've been away for a week. But for them, it's the same day. Jesus says to them, having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear. He said that to his disciples. And look at verse 17. Again, last week's teaching. Jesus said to his disciples, do you not yet perceive nor understand? And then look at verse 21. And he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Do you know, guys, that um, many times sight, seeing, is used in the Bible as for a, a metaphor for understanding. If you see something, you can understand that thing. If, if, you, if you could really, you know, see it clearly, you could understand it. And I wonder if this gradual healing was illustrating to the disciples that their understanding was incomplete. Guys, it's important that their understanding is complete. Why? Because they were the ones that were going to take the teachings of Jesus and proclaim them to others. Guys, Jesus was not there. I mean, physically there. When the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Remember? I mean, Jesus told his disciples. He said, the spirit is with you. And the spirit will be in you. He said, the spirit is with you. And not, not long for the spirit will be in you. Do you remember when he said that? In the upper room before they went out to the, the garden to pray where Jesus was arrested and taken and, and, and later scourged and crucified and, and his dead body laid in the tomb and all. Do you remember what John tells us on the night that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? He comes in to this locked room where his disciples are, where the apostles are, and he breathed on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, he said, the Spirit is with you and will be in you. I believe, chronologically, that's when the Spirit of God came in them, when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But then you get to the book of Acts, or you could look at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus says, wait, tarry for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father was spoken of by Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. Do you remember that? In fact, John the Baptist spoke about the promise of the Father before Jesus even came upon the scene. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, 120, about 120, gathered in the upper room. They're waiting. They were told to wait. And the Spirit of God came upon them. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Guys, words matter. And when you study the words in the scripture, it is crystal clear that with you is one Greek word, in you is another Greek word, and upon you is a completely different 
I hope that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You say, I've got the Holy Spirit. Listen, does he got you? <laughs> do you I mean, do, we, we need to look at the scriptures and say, Lord, why is it that, that I'm not experiencing this power, this dunamis power? Was it just for them back then? I refuse to believe that. I believe it's for all believers of all ages. But Peter... Peter was there when the church was birthed, of course, and the others were there when the church was birthed. And, and, and there were those, as they were hearing these men and these women proclaiming, praising God in their own dialect, and some knucklehead said, oh, they're drunk. Because everyone knows that drunk people speak perfect dialects. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even make sense, you know. And, and those who say, you know what, it's, it's that drunk in the spirit. No, it has nothing to do with drunk in the spirit. You can't, there's something seriously wrong. If you could read the scriptures and not see that it was a mocking when they said that, and then Peter corrected the mocking and said, these are not drunk as you suppose. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he began to preach to them from the Old Testament, from the scriptures. That's all they had, Old Testament. And remember the outcome of that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. So it was important that they understood who Jesus was. Remember, guys, the beginning, Jesus, he's walking along the shore of the Galilee and he sees Andrew and Peter, and there they are by their boat. And, and he says, uh, Andrew, Peter, come on. Come on, I want you to be with me. I, I, want you to, I want you to know who I am. I want you to understand who I am. You say, he didn't say that. Sure he did. Remember, I'll remind you of what, what it says in, in Mark chapter 3. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So the whole point was Jesus wanted them to be with him and so they left their boats and of course uh, uh, James and John did the same thing James and Don, John they left their father they left the servants they left the boats they left the nets and they began to follow Jesus and as they began to follow Jesus Jesus was showing them things like I have power over demons they would look at each other and say he's got power over demons he speaks a word and the demons are cast out. He has power over demons. And he would go a little further and, and he would show them, I want you to understand that I have, I have power to cleanse the leper. And they go, he has power to cleanse the leper. And then on another occasion, Jesus wants them to know, I have power, I have authority to forgive sins, to forgive the sins of a paralytic. And they watched it and they listened and they listened to Jesus' reason with the, you know, the religious establishment. And they were learning, they're learning Jesus a little bit further down. They see Matthew at the tax collector's office and Jesus. I want you to think of this, guys. I want you to think of the moment. He's in there. What's he doing? He's ripping off his, his fellow man. 
He's a tax collector. They've got the worst reputation. They have a bad reputation because they work for Rome, but they're Jewish and they rip off their own people. They overtax their own people, the Hebrew people. And Jesus says, Matthew, come on. I want you to be with me. I want you to get to know me. I want you to understand who I am. You say, oh, that's so wonderful. So wonderful. I hope he has said the same thing to you. (laughs) 43 years ago, he said to me, Danny, come on. I want you to be with me. I want you to get to know me. I want you to understand who I am. And if you're saved, he said the same thing to you. And and we need to see it that way because that's truly the way it is. It's not something that we just simply decided to do, but we're responding to the call of God. He's calling us. He wants us to be with him so that we might understand him, so that we might know him, so that we might be equipped to, tell me, preach him, proclaim him. You can't, you can't proclaim something that you don't know. Well, look at verse 24, back to our text. It says, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. I see men like trees walking. I would think they were trees, but they're moving, so they must be men. But they look like trees to me. The point is, is that the blind man's Sight was so imperfect that he could not distinguish a man from a tree. Except the, it's a sad thing when you see, as uh, you know, depending upon how old you are, you know, it's a sad thing when you see people grow in age, but they don't seem to mature. They don't, you know, it's a sad thing when you see a a grown man acting like a child, like a boy. It's a sad thing. Or or a grown woman acting like a spoiled brat, you know. There's a maturing process. Paul wrote, in fact, he wrote this when he was correcting the Corinthian believers in their misuse of spiritual gifts and wanting to train them so that they would be able to enjoy these spiritual gifts and use these spiritual gifts as they're meant to be used. But he said this, he says, when I was a child, I wrote this, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I, listen, I I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, this should be the natural process of maturity for all of us, you know, you grow up and you start putting those childish things away. But then Paul goes on and he speaks about this spiritual Mature, and that has come, tongues will cease, and so on and so forth. And that which is perfect is the canon of Scripture. When we have the full canon of Scripture, then tongues will cease, and that's why tongues no longer exist today. You've got a real problem with that interpretation because it also says that knowledge will cease. Has knowledge ceased since we've gotten the full canon of Scripture? No, it's increased because we have the full canon of Scripture. So we need to be careful as we try to interpret things or try to explain things away. We need to be very careful of that. But he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I believe that then that which is perfect is speaking of when the Lord comes. And it says, now I know in part, and then I shall know as I also am known. 
Paul says there's this natural maturity, this natural growth, but there's also the spiritual maturity, the spiritual growth that's supposed to take place in us as children of God. We don't have a full understanding of all things now, but when Jesus comes for us, we'll have a full understanding of all things. We don't have a full understanding uh, now, but we should be growing and maturing now, right? We don't have a full understanding now, but we must do our part to increase our understanding through the reading and studying of the word of God. You say, oh, how did we know that you were going to come back to that? Because that is the, the only place to land. And I'm telling you, if you, if you haven't gotten it, you're never going to know him. You're never, you're always going to be lacking in understanding. Because you're always going to see men as trees walking. Because the understanding comes from the word of God. It's the spirit of God, the indwelling spirit of God, taking the word of God and lighting it upon our hearts and upon our minds so that we can comprehend the scriptures and apply the scriptures to our life. In one sense, spiritually speaking, we may see men like trees walking, but I'll tell you what, our Lord is not going to leave us in that condition if, and here's the condition, if we abide in him and his word is abiding in us. You know, guys, the Lord wants us to grow. I think that maybe this gradual healing was illustrating just that. In one sense, he's saying to his men, guys, listen, I could do anything. I could do it in a moment. I could do it in, in, in stages. I could do whatever I want. But I want you to understand, you have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. You're still not able to perceive. You're still not able to understand. But take heart, abide, and I'll grow you up. It's amazing, guys, how, how little we really need to do, how little we really need to apply ourselves when it comes to the word of God. And the Lord just fans it into a flame. You know, we are living in the last days. You might disagree with me, but that's okay. You'll see when we're all caught up. Um, but, um, but we're living in the last days. And, and I'll tell you, we are the most blessed generation of the church that's ever lived. I'm convinced of that. Because we have an opportune time. The whole world is changing. It has changed radically in the past two years, and it continues on a weekly basis, things are radically, radically changing in the world today. We're watching nations, including our own nations, giving up their sovereignty in different areas. Why? Because there's coming a leader, the Bible tells us, who will rule over all of humanity, all of the earth. And great and small and rich and poor and slave and free will have to receive a mark in order to buy or sell or do anything, you know, to live. And we're watching this happening. It's all happening right before our very eyes. And we're seeing the beginning stages of these things. I'm not saying that we're in the tribulation. We're not. But we're seeing the making of the beginning of the tribulation when the Antichrist comes upon the scene. But I'll tell you, we are living in a generation where people, their hearts are open, I think, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet the laborers are few. 
I don't understand. Men, 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 men. Be a man. You say, there you go, insult me again. Be a man of be a man of God. Be a man of God. Give yourself to the scriptures, to the reading of the scriptures. Be the spiritual leader in your home. Be the spiritual leader to your children. Apply yourself just a little bit and stand back and be surprised at the fruit that that, that is going to come from your life. I say men, 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 because the fact of the matter is, and it's been sad. I mean, this has been a sad reality that in many homes, the mom, the wife is a spiritual leader. And it ought not be that way, according to the scriptures. Do you know, over the decades of walking with Jesus, you know, we would different times do mission work in different areas. And for a while, um, back in the 80s, um, we had a lot of mission groups going into the Philippines. And um, the Filipino people, well, let me, let me rephrase that. The Filipino women were very, very open to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there were so many coming to faith in Christ. But the churches were made up, for the most part, of women. The men, they were just lazy. They didn't have any interest. They weren't, they weren't leading their families in any capacity, and they surely weren't going to lead them spiritually. Right after communism fell, you know, in Bulgaria, in Eastern uh, Europe, I went to Bulgaria. In fact, they were still removing, you know, a lot of the statues of Lenin and, you know, all these, you know, uh, communist leaders and everything when I was there. I, I, I was there on May Day, and I, I, I was in a... Um, I didn't realize, I, I should have picked up on the fact all the red flags, but, but I was in a communist uh, parade. I, I was there by myself. I had no translator, and I was just there on the streets, and all these people were walking, and they were kind of going to the middle of the city, and so I'm just walking with them. And once we got to where all the other people were, the people were spitting at them and everything, and I just kind of got out of there. But, you know, in Bulgaria... I ministered in a church there, and there were two men in a church that probably had 100 people. Two men, the pastor and a deacon. And everyone else in the, in the church was a woman or a child. And I asked the pastor, I said, where are the men? Where are the men? I'm telling you, brothers, you're missing out because you're the last generation. I believe you're the last generation, you know, man of God with the gospel, you know, before Jesus comes back. And you're missing out on the opportunity. And I don't understand why. You need to take it seriously. And I'll tell you, if you are in the word of God and the word of God is in you, you're going to grow. And the natural response to spiritual growth is, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be with other men and women that love Jesus. I want to encourage them in their faith. I want to, you know, it's not, it's, you just, it's just a natural, supernatural byproduct of growing in, in the Lord. It really is. Anyway, I, okay, I, I beat that horse to death. 
Is that the right term? Look at, look at the next one, uh, next section here, verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And then he said to them, and I believe this is why he asked the question. You know, you kind of get to know Jesus, guys, as we're walking with Jesus. That's what he wants us to do, is he wants us to get to know him, to understand him. And as we're walking with him in the scriptures, you get the point that he could care less what people think of him. I mean, do you ever do you ever see Jesus feeling a little uncomfortable? I'm wondering how they might think of you know what are people saying about me? I mean, I could he could care less about that, but he cared very much about this. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, "You are the Christ." Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Now, again. If there seems to be a contradiction in the scripture, you need to back off from it and look at it and say, okay, I need, I need understanding. So you say, why would Jesus tell, tell them not to tell anybody about him? Timing. Guys, they didn't know what his mission was. He knew what his mission was. I'm going to the cross. My face is set like flint. To the cross. I'm going to the cross. I am the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. I am the lamb of God. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And as it is now, we can't go anywhere without a multitude of people coming. And if it starts getting out that I'm the Christ, they're going to take me like they wanted to do. Remember? On another occasion, they wanted to take him and make him king. You're the Messiah. He goes, no, I have a mission. So don't tell anyone. But after the resurrection, what's the Great Commission all about? Tell everyone. You tell everyone you come into contact. Tell everyone, 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 everyone. Okay, Lord. Who do you think that I am? I'm convinced that this is what is important to the Lord. You know, some were saying John the Baptist. Who would say that it was John the Baptist? Those people must be confused. There's a lot of people that are confused about Jesus. But you would think, how could they confuse Jesus with John the Baptist? Because their, their ministries overlapped one another. But of course, you know, people, they don't know any better. We know that Herod Antipas believed that Jesus was John the Baptist. And the reason he believed that Jesus was John the Baptist is because he had a guilty conscience. He had a guilty conscience because he went to visit his brother, and he came back from visiting his brother with, with his brother's wife. And they pretended that they were a couple. And John the Baptist had the guts to say, Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. And you know what happened to John. At the prompting of Herodias, or really the uh, alluring of her, her, her daughter. I think it's sad that we live in a time where many churches kind of build their whole church around uh, who do you say Jesus is? Or who would you like Jesus to be? 
You know, guys, I have to be careful because of the racial tension all over the place, but, you know, I think it's, it's worth noting that there is idolatry in the church. Uh, Caucasians, we, well, here's our Jesus. He's, he's got blonde hair and blue eyes, and, and he surfs at, uh, you know, <laughs> you know I mean? we're just kind of making Jesus and we're a black church and now here's Jesus and Jesus has black skin and he's African and, and, and now here's an Asian church and here's Jesus he's an Asian and, but you know Jesus doesn't morph into diff different nationalities Jesus was a Jew he was a Jew from the Middle East and um, and and you know, there are so many people that go to so many different sources to find out who Jesus is. Can I tell you, there's only one source to find out who Jesus is, and it's the Bible. Why? Because this is God saying, this is who I am, rather than someone else telling us. What do you hate it? You should hate it. You should get up and walk out. If I said, I thank you folks for gathering here today. I'm going to tell you exactly who Jesus is and, and what he thought. And, you know, who are you, Dan, to think such that you have insight like that? And yet there are so many. These ascended masters, these gurus, these lunatics, you know. I'll tell you who Jesus is. But they go outside of the scripture to tell us who Jesus is. Why would you go to the dead to ask about the living? It doesn't make sense. But I'll tell you, again, Jesus, he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered the question, and he gave the right answer, but he didn't, he didn't have the right understanding of what the Messiah came to do. And we see this in the next portion. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, what are you doing? <laughs> he takes him aside. Jesus, I don't want to embarrass you, but, uh, you know, frankly, you're really embarrassing yourself right now. I mean, come on. I'm going to deal with this more next week. But the, the goal that Peter has to rebuke Jesus why is he rebuking Jesus? Because he doesn't like what he has to say. And the same thing is happening today in the church. Idolatry is rampant in the church among people who profess to be born again. I think that Jesus is, I don't care what you think and neither should you care what I think. We should be people of the word of God to say, I want to go to the source. I want to see what he says about himself. And I'll tell you as, you, as you read the scriptures, and then as you're walking with the Lord yourself, because you know what, guys? We are 
we are the last chapter of the book of Acts. Every generation of the church is the last chapter of the book of Acts. I mean, we're living out the acts of the Holy Spirit in our own life as the Holy Spirit leads us and directs us. But, you know, you look and you say, well, Jesus, he, he was meek and mild and just a little baby in his incarnation. And he was dependent upon other people. And, and uh, he was born into a, a, a most likely a poor family. And, and he was raised in a, a, a neighborhood, a, a town that had a notorious reputation for nothing good coming from Nazareth. And when he's 12 years old, because there's these gaps, and don't let anyone tell you what he was doing between the gaps because they don't know. What arrogance people have. Oh, it's these hidden books. Yeah, hidden books. How about getting into the book that we have and see what you can learn from that? And I'll tell you, the hidden books mean nothing. Because the hidden books always contradict the book and shame on you if you have an interest in something that contradicts what we have do you understand how we have the canon of scripture oh I could go on with that but we didn't just you know stumble upon these things there's reason there's purpose even though it's been you know there's been attempts to destroy it we still have it by God's grace but you look at the scriptures you know and you see Jesus 12 years old he's reasoning with the with the, with the elders, the priests, you know, in the temple, and you say, wow, 12 years old. My 12-year-olds were never doing anything like that, you know. They were, they, they were kids, you know. And, and then we see him as an adult, and he comes upon the scene. And, and the first encounter we see with John the Baptist is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He who comes after me is greater than I. I'm not even worthy of untying the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I must decrease, but he must increase. And Jesus comes upon the scene. And he begins to call people. Come on, I want you to be with me. And some responded and some didn't. Can I remind you that the rich young ruler, Jesus in essence was saying to him, come on, I want you to be with me. I want you to understand who I am. I want you to know me. He said, no thanks. And how many others? Come on, I want you to be with me. Come on. Come on. I have no place to lie my head, and you need to understand that. No thanks. Come on, I want you to be with me. I want you to learn of me. I want you to understand me. 